What's up, everybody? Welcome into Pace the Nation, broadcasting from Studio 1A here in downtown Arlington, Virginia, in the heart of Arlington County. We are in Clarendon, back again for episode number 119. A big show to get to today. And alongside me, I've got one co-host to get through the show with. To my left today, it's William E. Docs. Docs, what's up? Well, I'm, I'm to your left and to your right. You are. That's a good You're point. the only two people in the studio. <laughs> That's a good, good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joanna is, uh, I think she's out of, ta- she's out of town on... She, she's visiting her grandmother. Gram- That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I did listen to that, Joanna. So uh, don't, don't be, be offended. <laughs> you guys accuse me of not listening. I, I knew she was. I just couldn't, uh-huh. couldn't piece it together right then. Uh, but yes, Joanna, I'm sorry, is, is going to be uh, not on today's show. She will be back next week. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we hope so. We know uh, how these things go. Well, we're going to need her because we need her to uh, kind of uh, even us out, uh, as, as always. So I uh, look forward to her coming back next week. But this week, Docs, uh, we've got a big show to get to. Yeah. Uh, today, we are excited to be joined by Kate Fagan. Uh, I mentioned this last week. She's the author of What Made Maddie Run? The Secret Struggles and Tragic Death of an All-American Teen. Uh, She's an ESPN columnist. Uh, She does plenty of work on Around the Horn, and she's all over ESPN. And uh, really, really thrilled to have her on the phone today. Yeah, Uh, me too. Yeah, so I I mean, I think um, the story is a very important one. Uh, It's the story of... University of Pennsylvania freshman Madison Holleran, who took her life January of 2014, uh, committing suicide, and she was a track, uh, she was a runner on the track team. Yeah. Uh, just finished her first year, uh, first cross country no, season. She finished her first semester. First semester and yeah. finished the cross country season. Um, and Kate wrote a story, um, I think an article on ESPNW. Uh, maybe a couple years ago, right? And then turned it into a book recently. The book came out August first. Yeah, I remember when the article came out, and and it really uh, struck with me. Uh, not just because a young person took her life, but also because she was a a track and field athlete. Right. And I'm I'm not sure that it should matter, but that right. you know that did kind of make me think. You know, it it it's, makes it a little bit relatable, I guess. Yeah, and not only a track and field athlete, but a star track and field. Well, athlete. I didn't relate to that part. <laughs> she was, she was a star in high school in New Jersey, and yeah. you know was one of the top runners on the Penn cross country team her her freshman year. Um, lived this, you know, what looked to be, you know, an amazing happy life. And, um, you know, just uh, this, the story was incredible. Both you and I read the book. Um, and for me to read a book, I mean, that's, I <laughs> that is a big, that's a big deal. So it, it's a, it's a very compelling read. It, it is a heavy subject. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on, I mean, you have to judge yourself if, if, uh, um, if that's a topic you can handle, but I, I thought Kate Fagan did just such an excellent job of, uh, not only, talking about Madison, but, but talking about Mm -hmm. like weaving in there, uh, information on, on suicide, information on depression, Mm -hmm. anxiety, uh, contributors. Uh, It's so well written. Yeah. Um, and I read it like that and, and I would definitely recommend everybody go out and, and read this book. 
uh, it, it's it's really it's 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 a really really well written. And, and and you said it, you related to it, and I did too, man. I mean, I, I you know to pull back the curtain a little bit. You and I were in college, you know, twenty some years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were incoming freshmen together. And same class, yeah. Same class, and you know, I, I knew of you because you were in Northern Virginia, track and field cross country star. Right. Uh, but you know, we ha- you know we we went through. Uh, you know, this transition time from high school to college that was difficult for a lot of us. And I, I remember thinking back, as much as I love Virginia, that first semester's tough. Um, so, you know, part of me thought back to the days when I was running with you and, and a lot of the guys on the team and what we were going through. So it was a really, like, personal book for me as well that really was powerful. So I, I also highly recommend it. And it was a, a quick read. And it's also available in an audio book, too. So... For That's those your who want, thing. For those who want to go on and run and, and read it, it uh, you have that option as well. All right. Well, let's bring in the author to tell us more about the book. It's What Made Maddie Run, The Secret Struggles and Tragic Death of an All-American Teen. Let's bring in ESPN columnist Kate Fagan next here on Pace the Nation. All right, welcome back to the program. And now, Docs, we are excited to be joined by Kate Fagan of ESPN. Her book is What Made Maddie Run, The Secret Struggles and Tragic Death of an All-American Teen. Kate, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm well. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. And uh, Docs, had we known, she's in D.C. right now uh, recording Around the Horn. Um, what, what, what's your, before we get started, what's your impression of DC? Oh, I love DC. Nice. Um, I had, I've been down here a bunch cause I used to cover the Sixers. And so I'd be down here twice a year at the Verizon center. Is it still called the Verizon center? Well, it is, it is for a little bit. I think they're going to change it to like, I, I don't know, a new capital one, I think is going to be the new okay. sponsor. So it might go back to the cap center actually. Cause way back in the day, I grew up in this area, both docs and I grew up in this area and. I grew up rooting for the uh, the bullets at the time, and it was the Cap Center. So I think it's going to be Capital One. But, yeah, Verizon Center still at least for yeah. another year. No, so I love it here. I've, I've been down here for about five days, and I've managed to go to some good restaurants nice. every single night. So, yeah, I love D.C. Awesome. Well, the book is What Made Maddie Run, The Secret Struggles and Tragic Death of an All-American Teen. And, and we really, really enjoyed the book, right, Docs? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for being on the show, Kate. Uh, I thought the book was was so well written, and it, it looks at so many different angles. It has such a natural flow to it. Um, it's an important topic, a very moving and personal story. Uh, I encourage all of our listeners uh, to, to read this book. But what, what was it that drew you into Maddie's story in particular that made you want to write this book? Well, there was actually a couple different points that I felt like I overlapped with Madison's story. And I heard about what had happened actually the day after, because there was a couple headlines in in the tabloids coming out of Philadelphia the day after Maddie died. And I remember the headlines were, you know, star runner jumps to death over grades. And a, a lot of the headlines really felt so incomplete. And because I had lived in Philly for three years, I felt a connection because I'd been in the places that 
you know, she had been, whether it mm-hmm. was the campus or where the, her where she would run while she was an athlete at UPenn. But it was more than that, really. It got deeper really quick for me because I was a college athlete at the University of Colorado. I played basketball. I really struggled my freshman year. Never, I'd never really thought about perhaps that that experience was more universal than I thought. And then the final piece was that my sister was a, a really intense track and field cross-country athlete. She was an All-American at Dartmouth. And I had always really been fascinated by the psychology, the perfectionism, some, that I always felt like a good amount of really intense runners perhaps had the kind of type A personality that I saw in my sister. And so it was like a combination of all of that stuff that really drew me first to want to tell Maddie's story on a deeper level. So you wrote the, the article uh, for ESPNW? Yeah, and, it was for ESPNW and the magazine. And the magazine. And and then what was it that, that made you think, I want to expand this, I want to dive into this deeper and, and, and turn that article into a book? I, ha- I actually had no intentions to do that until the volume of email I was receiving reached a level where I said, okay, I'm going to almost write a book online in response to all of the emails I'm getting. And there were so many different doors that opened up with the emails and what people wanted to talk about. And so I could see that a lot of students and student athletes, whether high school or college were writing me and they really wanted to talk about if they were athletes, the intensity and the pressure, some of them were runners, some of them were not runners that they felt in that transition to college. Some of them just wanted to talk about the pressure and perfectionism that they felt they had grown up with and then that transferred over into it. There were parents who had questions for me. So I started to realize that there were a lot of different doors that were open that people really felt the need to navigate. And that was when I said, like, okay, well, if if this story really has touched people in this way and there's so many more questions, like, let's try to put this in a longer form and answer as many of the questions that it's possible to answer. And the book really is unique in the fact that you are given full access to Maddie's computer, her social media accounts, her text messages, her iMessages. I've never heard of a book being written like that. I mean, is there precedent for, you know, were you following some form or was this something you had thought on your own and this would be a good idea to write the book this way? Well, I think the initial motivation was that I had, from the beginning of reaching out to the Holleran family, through the ESPNW magazine piece, and then afterward, developed a kind of trust with Madison's family. And so it wasn't until after the magazine piece had come out that I even felt like I had built up enough mm-hmm. just human capital with the family to ask for something like Madison's computer um and once i felt like i once i felt on a human being level that that was a question that i could ask them i started to realize that i i really needed madison's voice in the book if there was going to be a book because that was probably the big thing that was missing from the magazine story was i didn't have a ton in madison's own words mm-hmm. and i think for a non-fiction book it's unique to have structured the story the way we did and included a number of her text messages and documents. But it was something that I had seen done in some like young adult novels, which often skew more toward 
showing the communication patterns of, of young people, whether it be structuring how friends talk on, on text in a young adult novel. And so it, it was actually the, kind of that framework that I wanted to bring to the book because I really, really hoped that it, this wasn't a book just for parents and that it would be seen as this academic uh, volume to read before you sent your kid off to school, although that's certainly something that I, I hope happens. I really wanted high school kids to read this book and connect with it. Mm -hmm. And so structuring that way to me felt like it made it more accessible. So it was about a two year process of writing the book. And that's a lot of time to take away from your regular work. Were you able to work during that time or was it fully just full time on the book? Well, ESPN was actually awesome enough to give me about six weeks mm -hmm. a year and a half ago okay. to really get a good chunk of the book done. And they, they allowed me that time, I think, in part because the book started as a piece on ESPN and, and they felt, you know, they're just very supportive of their employees. And so they were like, look, we'll just give you this six weeks. And it was at a decent time in the sports calendar. And so that was when, like, a, I got a, a good amount of the book done. And I was lucky enough to have, I think, about a year and a half to two years from, like, the moment I knew that there would be a book until it had to be completely finalized. So after that chunk, I got to chip away at the book going forward over like the next nine to 10 months. So it wasn't too strenuous. So I kind of did it in between pockets of everything else I do for ESPN. Well, I thought w one of the most compelling uh, things about the book to me was your journey with Madison uh, throughout the book. I, I felt like there were so many parallels of her life and your life. And uh you know, did you know that going in that you mentioned that earlier here on, on our show, that there was some similarities, but did you know how closely your lives would be, uh, you know, paralleled? No, I mean, I, I didn't intend when we decided to do a book to structure it this way and to in, include first person essays in the book. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until really talking with the Holleran family and my editor where we talked about the snapshots we wanted to offer people about how Madison Madison's story was more universal than just her one life. And in order to do that, we didn't feel that we would be serving the reader by just obsessing over every detail of Madison's life and just diving in and just immersing ourselves in that like I didn't even think that would be that healthy mm -hmm. I thought to, in order to make the points about how social media is impacting our kids and and a lot of us we needed to open it up away from Madison and to make the point about you know like the concept of quitting we need to have more than just Madison's life to be able to articulate and illustrate a lot of those points and so it wasn't until like deeper into the process, like probably the first three to four months as we're like, I was putting together an outline and running it by people where I was like, look, I think if we really want to get to places in this book that are different than just giving people like a romanticized, obsessive look mm -hmm. at one person's story, we need to peel back and allow me to kind of be the proxy to take people through to these other points of view. Well, social media was a huge part of the book. Um, it made me, I mean, really reflect, I think a lot of people will, about your own use of social media, and not only social media, but how you communicate with people. 
and how many conversations that we all have, like Madison Holleran had, going on at once without even talking to yeah. people at all. I thought that was a major point in the book. It it was really eye opening uh, when you brought up that uh, this digital generation will um, be connected so much that they they can a- go to the dining hall and ask their parents for advice on what they should get for lunch. And I think for for somebody like like Chris and I. Uh, who went to school before cell phones, as much as we hate to admit that, um, that, that really was eye opening. Um, and I guess I didn't really recognize how that could, could present also, uh, um, difficulty with the, with this adjustment in college as well. Was, was this something that you were aware of before? Or is this something that, that you also uncovered in this process? Well, I think right from the outset in like the months after, the Madison's death, one of the key things we wanted to focus on, even in the ESPNW story, so we're talking about two and a half years ago, was what role social media played in Madison's life. And we didn't want to make that just our own viewpoint that we projected onto her story. So in talking to her friends and family, I would run it by them. I'm like, I don't want to make this a bigger deal than it is, but if you look at Madison's Instagram, which is actually still live to this day, yeah, yep. you you see this perfect projection, and I don't think that's unusual by any means. The, I guess the only fact that sets it apart is how we know the outcome of Madison's life. So I asked her friends, I asked her family, like, what role do you think social played? And they were all they were all clear to say that we, they didn't think it was a driving factor in her suicide, but they thought it exacerbated a lot of struggles she was having and that she did engage with social media in a way that seemed to be unable to understand that other people were projecting a kind of highlight reel instead of their realities. And she absorbed that and and felt like she was always kind of missing out and not being enough, et cetera, et cetera. So social media in the, in the book and in Madison's story, I think there are, two separate topics there because one is simply that Madison engaged on social and it seemed as if it heightened some of her anxiety and this was according to some of her friends at Penn and even her mom asking her like but you look so happy in this picture and Madison (laughs) saying mom it's just a picture right um so there was that piece and then there's the separate piece where again as I talked with the family like we wanted to make a bigger statement about the potential effects of technology on young people and how it does show that when you are struggling, social media is not helpful. And I think one thing that really stood out to me, aside from like some of the text messages and, and the ways she engaged on text messages and emojis, was simply, and this kind of gets to running to a point, sure. is that now on social, we have this way of kind of ranking ourselves and getting immediate feedback and seeing where we are in the hierarchy. And I know in talking to a lot of runners and in talking to Maddie's friends, like it's sometimes it's that kind of like specific feedback that then allows you to place yourself above or below someone. And that can then cause a lot of anxiety or, or even like escalate when you then feel like you're failing on some level or used to be good. And now it's bad. We used to kind of not know those things the way we do now. And I think, for Madison, it was to me the re- the connection there to running is that in running, unlike team sports, there's just a ton of numbers and rankings that you can constantly be processing, which some people love and other people can find mm-hmm. paralyzing. 
Do, do you think that um, the fact that she went from playing soccer to, to running may have um, compounded that issue? I mean, I think it was one factor because, and, and I try to say this consistently, like the top line that you have to keep in mind always in, in reading this book or talking about this story is that there was some sort of chemical change in her brain. I mean, that's what her parents yeah, now think. Right. They were trying to get her diagnosed with depression. And so everything else is just like these little mini currents that flowed into the main river that affected the outcome of Madison's life. And I do think that, you know, one of them was the transition to college. One of them was the pursuit of an Ivy League school, which required her to do a sport running, which wasn't her first love. Right. But soccer was going to take her to Lehigh. And I think in the social hierarchy of like what's more impressive you know, an Ivy League school, it was like, okay, it's worth it to do running instead of soccer. Um, so I think that was one factor because in talking to her family and friends, she didn't want to play tennis competitively going forward, even though by all accounts, she was like really a really great tennis player because it was such a solo pursuit and she was could be inside her head so much. And yet when she was older, when faced with this decision of going to Penn and having to do track to get to Penn, at that point, it was kind of like, well, maybe maybe that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make to get to this big name school. Do you think that that's a, a connection to the picture that she chose to, to put in the book in the bag? Yeah, it's, it's impossible to say. I mean, I think yeah. Yeah. to me, to me, that picture is more just a reflection. If you look at a lot of her Instagram of seeing the world through quotes and beautiful pictures and a, a lot of kind of like an artful introspective look at the world which i think was something that was repeated to me in the course of reporting this story so running uh you know she kind of fell into running i we should all you know i, I she, we should all be so lucky to be as talented as she was in running uh you know as a secondary sport she falls into it and i almost feel like she had this um, and a lot of runners listen to our show, um, and you're a runner yourself. I mean, you have this love hate relationship with running, uh, but her relationship just seemed just way more on the hate side. And just, uh, you know, I, I often just like was felt like I was rooting for her just to quit running. And why don't you think she could ultimately do it? Well, I I think, I don't know the way I look at it because you know you you guys have read the book. She tries to quit. You know she's at Penn. Right. She's struggling. She writes this really articulate letter that she wants to read, explaining why she wants to quit. And when her mom's in that meeting, and when the coach comes back and is you know like, well, what if we rearrange the circumstances for you? Maybe mm-hmm. you take some time. You can train on your own. I think at that moment, the way I viewed it. And this is is not backed by any sort of, you know, journalistic pursuit because it's not an answer that I could come up with. It was just my impression after collecting everything and reading it. And my own personal point of view on the times I've tried to quit is like it's almost like when you you try to when you want to break up with somebody right. and right. you you have this whole thing and you say it. And that's all the energy you've been able to put into this. And then the person says, are you saying you don't love me anymore? <laughs> and you're and like, you can't take that next step to say, I don't love you. Cause that just feels too painful. Uh, yeah. She and almost just, couldn't say that to Dolan. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. And so I think it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously all wrapped up also in like 
athletics was her identity and mm-hmm. she didn't want to disappoint people. And, and I'm sure at some point she was concerned that it was the wrong decision, you know, that like you shouldn't you shouldn't quit. And if she could somehow push through that, that she could get to the other side and continue on with her athletic endeavors. And I think it was all of that stuff that all of us who have been athletes go through, whether on some small scale where you want to quit a drill and you have to like battle your own mind with like, am I weak? Am I not weak? To a larger scale where you might want to quit a sport because you feel like it's not right for you anymore. So I think we've kind of all been there on some level. Obviously hers was magnified by what was going on in her mind at the time and the transition to college and being so young and, and not having, you know, a fully developed brain, which is also part of it. So it's all of that. Okay. You, you had a a similar conversation with your coach at Colorado where, where you went into the, uh, the office and told your coach that, that you wanted to quit and, and your coach had a very similar response to, to Madison's coach where, where she said, give me, give, give me, me two, two weeks. more weeks yep. and, and I'll, yeah. I'll change the way I coach you. And, yeah. and that's, that's what Madison's coach essentially said as well was, well, why don't you stick around and you can, you can pick the workouts or you, you know, we can kind of formulate something that works for you. Um, and, and it, it seems like that, uh, that conversation, that compromise worked for you. Um, but ultimately it didn't work for Madison is I mean, did, did did you see it that way as well? Yeah, and I think that I always kind of go back to the point where I was so lucky that, genetically speaking, mental health in my family is really strong. And I personally at that time was dealing with some panic and low-level anxiety. But I never would have ascribed, like, a depression at that time in my life. I was I really didn't think basketball was for me. And even to this day, even though I played college sports and I'm glad I pushed through and, and didn't quit, it wasn't like, I, I know it wasn't my passion in life. It got to a point where it was like, I enjoyed my teammates and I enjoyed the process of it when I got older and I could understand everything that was happening more. But for Madison, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those paths that I can see a few steps of it, but then I can't see down that path because where she was mentally is somewhere I've never been. Right, and right. having that compounding factor of a kind of depression and anxiety that's truly, her parents now think, you know, something that they were trying to get drugs for and that you wanted that actual diagnosis. Like, I can't, I can't fathom what that difference right. feels like. I will say, though, that, like, for coaches who might listen to this or coaches in, in, in general, I don't envy what they have to do when they're dealing with high school athletes who come to college, if you're a college coach, because it's, it's really common that they feel overwhelmed by the demands of college. And, and I think most of the time you want to allow them more space to figure it out, but you don't want them to quit because most of the time, if they push through, they get to a place where they grow as a human, as an athlete, and they're, they're glad they didn't quit. And how are you to know, right? It's so difficult to know the difference from someone who's just struggling but needs to persevere versus someone who's like, look, this is really not good for my mental health right now. And the one variable I can take away are these like really difficult workouts morning and night. You don't, I don't know how you tell that difference if you're a coach. I, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. Cause I, I was actually going to ask you. Um, so, and, and it's probably not fair to put on the coaches either, um, you, you talked about some of the changes that have hap- happened at Penn uh, for mental health 
issues. Do you see any changes uh, nationwide or, or especially with the athletic departments to help the coaches uh, identify the differences between a, a Madison and a Kate? I do. I think that having talked to both the NCAA recently as well as having attended the first ever Big East Mental Health Summit and engaged, having engaged with a number of athletic departments over the last two years since the original magazine piece came out, this is at the forefront of what athletic departments want to address going forward. Um, there's not enough of them, or not enough in my opinion right now, of like division one schools who employ a full-time mental health professional. It's something like it's, it, these aren't numbers that the NCAA keeps. I just asked them last week for them and they, it's not something that they have specific numbers for. So the best number we could get was that roundabout 35 of the 128 FBS schools employ a full-time mental health professional. Wow. And I mean, imagine if like, I mean, just imagine you guys know this, like the billions of dollars that are poured into weight rooms and locker rooms and right. physical training staffs and everything that has to deal with physical performance. And the simple fact that like less than 30% of these high high level division one programs don't have someone there for the mental and emotional health of their athletes and the programs know it. And they're, I, I do believe in the next three to five years, you're going to have someone who can be there with a coach who's a licensed professional. And then at least you're getting the absolute best you could possibly get. You know, you're, you're getting at least right. the most brains and opinions about what the best thing to do for an athlete is and not leaving it up to a coach who has a conflict of interest and who's paid to win. And I think that's the key point is having someone there whose sole drive is not getting this athlete physically better and winning. I mean, that's where some athletic departments need to have that check and balance. So Kate, uh, another great thing about the book I thought was how emotionally invested you were in her story. And at times I felt like I was worried about you. And there was at one point where your dad even yeah. said, <laughs> he said, make sure to, to, to let me know that you're okay. Um, how emotional, how difficult was it to, I, I can't imagine just going through text messages, through emails, reconstructing this person's life who is no longer with us. How difficult was that emotionally for you? Uh, I think that's a tough question to answer just because what always pings into my mind is like, it's, it's just like incomparable to having known and loved Maddie. Mm -hmm. And I certainly feel that I've come to know her in some way through the writing of this book. But that painful loss is not on my heart the way it is with so many people who loved her. So I think that's a that's just the top line that I have to say. Right. The second the secondary part of that is like. I feel lucky to have been able to write this book and to tell her story, because for the first 32 years of my life thinking about mental health and talking with people who see the world differently and have brains that work differently than my brain is not something I ever considered. I mean, after that freshman year at Colorado where I was like a little panicked and having anxiety and like really unhappy, I got out of it and I, and I didn't really think about how that might be a state of mind that other people often have. And mm -hmm. so it's been a blessing in a lot of ways to engage now with people and call people friends and talk openly with people who feel the world differently than me. 
And that's, that's something that I never did before. And I, so, and, and like I said, I'm just super lucky that for the most part, I don't have a predisposition toward depression or so, and, and, uh, and working on this book or thinking about this book, you certainly peek into the darker corners of the human mind, but I don't live there. And so I think in that way, it probably was a good idea for for me to write the book. And maybe in another way, in someone's opinion, it could be, you know, if, if you don't truly understand where she's been, then maybe you're not the right person. But I think trying to walk that middle line, hopefully in some ways kept the book balanced. You know, a, a, another crazy thing about the, the, the book to me, it, it really read like it's a it's a nonfiction book, but it read like a Hollywood story with with a tragic ending that had, you know, so much to learn throughout. Um, were you surprised? I mean, just like the fact that you know, and I don't want to give the book away. You got to read the book. The book that you got to read the book. Uh, yeah. What made Maddie run? But at the end, some of the coincidences. Hey, some of the, the coincidences. You see the the coach of Lehigh. I mean, I just I couldn't the, believe the article that was posted about uh, competing for Ivy Leagues. Yeah, her friend texted to her. There's yeah, so, so many coincidences there. I mean, all, all this is true. There is there. You 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 uh, didn't take any liberties in any of this. I'm sure, right? No, I mean, I, I'm with you guys when I remember when I went up to Allendale, which is where Madison was from, Allendale, New Jersey, and I was getting dinner with Jim and Stacy, and I just kind of started the reporting process, and we were ordering dinner, and Jim was like, well, have you talked to Eric yet at Lehigh? You know, he saw Maddie just minutes before she died, and I was like, wait, you're telling me that Madison ran into – the coach who recruited her to Lehigh, who she spurned at the last minute to go to Penn, and she saw, like, it just, that blew me away yeah. that yeah. she ran into him. And I'll add one more thing about that, because I think yeah. at times I think people can read it as if, oh, her mind must have really been made up, because here she runs into this coach who kind of insinuates you could still play soccer. And I, I think actually in one of the first drafts of the book, I made it seem like she must have been so determined and having spoken to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and run this book by a lot of people, they were really cautious of describing anyone's mental state as like absolutely determined because they were like up until the moment that someone, you know, dies, there's there is hope that someone will connect with them or that something will mm. happen where you can avoid that outcome and get them help and get them to a better place. And so it was tricky to write a, write that scene because I didn't want to make it seem like she just had you know, blinders on and, and was going to do this. I really still wanted to make clear that like, if you want to help someone in a certain other situation, like don't think that there's like a deterministic nature to this. Well, one of the, you know, and, and we're with Kate Fagan, uh, the book is what made Maddie run. Um, and we're, 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 we'll get you out of here here soon. Kate, thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah, of course. You know, one of the major, major topics, obviously, is the, the suicide and, and depression, which is, you know, very difficult for, for me to, to, to read or think about. And, you know, for me, it was really difficult as, as someone who ran in college and Docs and I were, high, were college teammates, um, you know, at University of Virginia. And we went through a lot of it, the, the, the you know, being a freshman together um, and we knew some of the struggles. But for me, it was just hard, so hard to, to relate. And I guess that's, you know, that's what being depressed is. And then you open my eyes so much 
about what suicide is and how, you know, tragic it is. And, and just, and I think you did a really good job of, of kind of shedding the light on suicide. I guess that was one of your purposes here for the book too. Yeah, it, it really was trying to figure out a way to tell this story in a compassionate way that would allow for the most part, I know there will always be critics, people to be willing to talk about Madison's life without feeling like we've opened up a door to romanticizing suicide or creating copycats, because that was always a concern. I think even having a conversation about suicide can feel like you're, you know, walking through a field with landmines because you Mm -hmm. don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't want to use the wrong language. You don't want in any way to be seen as either lacking compassion about it or romanticizing it. And so in writing the book, I just tried to take as many precautions as possible, like talking to someone who works in the field of suicide ethicists and can communicate some of the rules about it. And I think just the main goal overall about it is to be able to have conversations with kids and whether that's, you know, at like a, a stop or a book stop about the book. I just didn't want it to feel like it was this clinical cold look at mental health or on the opposite side of it, it being this really romanticized, like really obsessive look at, at Madison. And I mm-hmm. think people can get obsessive about suicide because for some of us, it's something we've thought about. And for others of us, it's something that we just don't understand. And so there's just this never ending curiosity. And the goal with the book was to not indulge in that romanticism of it and also not to make it too clinical because we want kids to read it and we want kids to feel like they're allowed to talk about this. Kate, at, at the uh, end of the book, I, I guess the last page, you had a lot of uh, phone numbers and, and organizations that could help an individual, uh, which I thought was was great to, to add to the book. Uh, do you have any advice for um, somebody who, who thinks that they they may be uh, close to somebody who might be suffering from depression or, or possibly have suicidal thoughts? One of the first things that I learned throughout the writing of the magazine story and in this book is that introducing the idea of suicide in a conversation is not planting suicide in the mind of someone. Mm. And being willing to go there is going to, for the most part, just open up a conversation and not uh, lead someone down a path. Because I think even in talking to Jim Holleran, within their family, there was some reticence, and some of it was a generational thing, to talk too openly about these issues because they seem so clinical and private. And also there was the, I don't want to plant this in the mind of Madison. So mm-hmm. if you're, hey, you know, Madison, are you suicidal? All of a sudden you think that they're going to take that idea and run with it. Like that is a complete myth. And so if you have someone in your life so, there's so many resources out there. I personally love to write Love on Her Arms, which is an organization for a, a lot of for young people and mm-hmm. a community that tries to make talking about these issues like, quote unquote, you know, cool in a way that cuts down the stigma. So I think being able to connect with one of those organizations and being willing to be present for someone is really it's not as tricky as it seems, although, you know, mental health professionals who have like studied and have doctorates like certainly are the most well-equipped to be able to talk to someone and, and really hold their hand through and get them to the other side of this. Cause it's something you can get to the other side of. 
Kate, you, you also talked a lot about uh, anxiety, especially with this uh, digital generation. Uh, you, you gave some numbers showing, uh, some really interesting numbers, actually, uh, about how many, a larger percentage of, of uh, college students now have anxiety or depression uh, or, or some of these uh, mental issues. Uh, and you, you, you kind of touched on, on some potential contributing factors. One that I thought was, was really interesting was, was uh, reduced free play. Um, mm-hmm. And, and these, these topics that you brought up, I, I, it kind of made me wonder, is, is this a, a, a problem in the United States or is, is this a global problem with this, with this digital uh, generation? I would imagine that some of the factors that are at play in the U.S. are different than at play elsewhere, but certainly not the technology piece. I think even if you there's a book coming out in a couple of weeks and there was an excerpt on The Atlantic and it really studies this next generation and how technology has impacted them. And I think a lot of the takeaways are universal and not just domestic here in the U.S., just in terms of the anxiety and depression rising and the more that young people use their phones this next generation i mean it's like the a decrease in how the percentage of kids who are having sex who are you know going out on dates who are doing anything that used to be like getting their driver's license every and madison never got her driver's license all of these indicators that used to in previous generations be about breaking away and freedom are decreasing because more kids are just on their smartphone snapchatting with their friends and so that, that's not, I don't think every study that shows it, I don't see studies that are like, oh, this is just the cliched next generation being like, whoa, is the generation after us. It's like actual psychological findings. And I think all of us who have a smartphone can, can infer from our own usage that they're true. I mean, I know I fall asleep with my phone. I wake up with my phone when I'm on it too much. I have a kind of, I have a kind of like, anxiety about having lived on my phone and now I'm kind of rambling a little bit here, but I think for that younger generation, that's something that I I don't know what the, what the like help is and the remedy is for that. Well, it's uh, I think get out and, and, and play and, and do things that are, uh, you know, detached from your phone. I've no, I've, I, since reading your book, I have made a conscious decision about that um, to do more of that. Um, Just finally, uh, Kate, uh, you know, the opportunity to write this book couldn't have been possible without uh, Stacy and Jim Halloran. Uh, what do you want to say about them who allowed you kind of into their world and Madison's world? Yeah, I appreciate that question because I think I try to, you know, articulate in like the author's note before the book, like this book is not possible unless they were willing to, you know, put public service ahead of private pain. Mm-hmm. And that was something they were willing to do all along the way. And, you know, they've started the Madison Holleran Foundation. They last year passed the Madison Holleran Suicide Prevention Act, which I believe requires New Jersey colleges to offer counseling for students in a timely fashion because it took Madison two weeks to get a counseling session at Penn. And so for them, I I mean, this is a really hard time for them because Madison would have just graduated. She would have started, you know, first job, wherever it would have been. And that's what they're seeing Madison's friends go off and do. And so I know right now this is a tough time for them, but they've been committed to this concept of like her story is a universal story and we have to tell it in order to, you know, open up these conversations that we wish we would have been having. 
That's Kate Fagan. You can uh, get the book anywhere books are sold. Uh, what Made Maddie Run? The Secret Struggles and Tragic Death of an All-American Teen. Uh, she's on Twitter. Uh, it's at Kate Fagan 3 a definite follow. Kate is all <laughs> over ESPN. Just host hosted around the horn. Um, among uh, I mean, what, what else are you doing on on ESPN? What's what's uh, what's coming up for you in the near future on ESPN? Well, I don't know if you guys are into competition, but I do have a podcast. Yes, we Cookies. are. We, uh, yes, I am. <laughs> I am in on your podcast now. What's it called again? Sorry, it, it's called Free Cookies. Okay, and all right. I do it actually with my girlfriend Catherine Budig. She's yep. a yoga teacher, yep. and it's sports, wellness, and lifestyle. And we also like to debate what the best cookie is and who, I mean, who doesn't want to debate the best cookies? So we, we actually had a cookie show here as well. We did. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. So we understand, we, we agree. Yes. So, and our audience would appreciate that too. So yeah, definitely, you know, you know, they listen to pace the nation and then they can listen to your podcast. Right. Next yeah. Time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Priorities. yeah, exactly. All right, Kate. Well, thank you so much for your time. Again, the book is what made Maddie run. It's soaring up the New York, New York uh, bestseller chart, New York Times bestseller chart. It's going to be at the top. It's an awesome book. Just came out August 1st. Go out and get yours today. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. There she goes. That's Kate Fagan. This is Pace Nation. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the program, and thanks again to Kate Fagan for joining us. Uh, again, her Twitter handle, which I think is a, a must-follow here, is KateFagan3. Uh, really, really great interview. Appreciate her time. Uh, one of my favorite that we've done in the 119 episodes, Doc. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how much time you guys talked about, because you always booked the guests. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much time you promised her that we would talk. I, we could have talked to her for two, three hours. Yeah, no I, I would have been happy with that. Th no there's doubt. so many uh, stories and questions that I that I had jotted down that, that I would have uh, liked to have talked to. And and I, I think she's got – she's just a great guest. Yeah, she was. Um, and. I didn't get to a lot of the, the ones that Joanna had jotted down some questions to that. Yeah, well. We just, uh, in, in the interest of time, just couldn't get to. But, yeah, fabulous guest. I mean, a, a lot a lot there. Uh, we could almost do a whole other show breaking it down. But um, And we didn't even get into talking about the Philadelphia 76ers. No. Who we, she used to cover. She used to right. be like, uh, for, for several years, she used to, to yeah. uh, cover the, the team before, I strategically, before ESPN days. I strategically got out of that real quick because I know that could have been a 10-minute segment <laughs> with both you guys going back and forth. Uh, but again, uh, a must-read uh, to all the, the Pace the Nation fans out there. Um, I, I think it was a real good story for everybody, but uh, you know, I think yeah, it would sure. really resonate with the high school community. Um who are transitioning into college? Um, I, I think so. Um, I also think that's a, a, an important read for parents. Yes, uh, she touched on a lot of things about it, it, it. For me, it was pretty eye-opening. Some of these observations that she's made about the difference this digital society has. Uh, like to me, I mean, I, I mentioned to her about the the text messaging about. Uh, what should I eat? Should I get chicken or, or, or turkey right. at the dining hall? Right. Like never being disconnected. When we went to school, uh, you were dropped off, the car's out of sight, and then maybe you're going to talk to your parents like the next week uh, when exactly. you give them a call or something like that. 
So I understand how that makes it difficult. Um, one of the the biggest things I thought was was the reduced free play, right? Um, and and this idea that that uh, kids today uh, have like all organized activities that they that they don't go out and just play like kids, and and that there's a lot of studies that say that that uh, triggers anxiety, uh, especially as they get older. Uh, so so I think it's I think it's important for. Uh, parents to to yep. to read this and, and be aware of these things and be aware of of the pressures that they're uh, that that the kids are going through and recognizing this. Um, I also think that that uh, you know, like, would you have been able to if if you were a if one of your college teammates was 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 depressed, uh, would you have been uh, mentally fit to to handle so that? So ill equipped. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, or, or even have the idea like not necessarily you you need to resolve this issue, but would you even uh, have the ability to to steer that person? No, towards I would have right said let's help. run a little bit more and let's go. Yeah, I would have yeah. probably directed them in the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it it was ironically we talked to uh, this past week we gave out uh, awards to the top sixty two kids uh, in the all run Washington team. And I mentioned this when, when I was presenting in front of them, mentioned this interview. So I hope most of them who, a lot of these kids, most of these kids are going to run in college. I hope most of them read. I mean, these kids, we, we presented this, this spike, this new balance, special makeup spike. All these kids were, they wanted the Instagram picture. It was all about getting the picture and capturing that brilliant moment in time was almost more important than any of the content during the show. Um, or at least that's how I, I felt. Especially while you were talking. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I kind of believe that too. Um, so awesome book. Uh, get it now, uh, both on uh, hard copy uh, and, and you can also uh, get the audio book online as well. Uh, what made Maddie run uh, by Kate Fagan. All right, docs. Um, you know, something else that was a big Instagram social media topic <clears throat> this past week. Mm hmm. Was, I do. Was, I do know. You, you do know. You mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about here. The solar eclipse. You got it. The solar eclipse um, was one of those things that, uh, I mean, it was a, it had to have been a top five event on social media ever. I mean, you know, I'm throwing out these superlatives uh-huh. like I have any idea what the other. Uh, well, what I think is, is really interesting, especially in light of this book that we just read, yeah. is, is, and our, our advanced age. Why you're even <laughs> calling this a social media event? This was an astronomical okay. event. Okay, to me, maybe it was that's my problem. Yes. I, maybe I need to reread the book. Uh, to me, well, it was I, a social media event. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you, you were surprised uh, on Sunday night. I actually drove down to South Carolina. I was shocked. And I witnessed the, the, the full eclipse. From Clemson University. Totality. Totality. If I hear totality one more time this week. Well, uh, <laughs> I did witness totality. Yeah. And it was amazing. And 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 then I drove back. And and I did all of that just for like really three minutes of, of uh, uh, an amazing experience. Docs and I are good friends, but we couldn't be more different. I mean, there is just there, – there's no I, way. I thank my lucky stars <laughs> for that every day. There is just no way. Here's, here's the difference between what Docs did and what I did on um, Monday when the eclipse was happening. And, and again, I don't want to – I mean, it was it was a it was an amazing event. It I, was. I just – I sat in my – I was doing work from home, and I was sitting at home, 
And I looked up and it was 4.30. And I was like, I didn't really notice anything. I thought it was going to maybe get dark. I, I just... Just, but this is this is also like you, it wasn't even a blip on. But you're also going into this like you, you don't really know what's happening. You don't really know like the different coverage zones and, and right. what that would mean and 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 what would happen. But I, I will describe to you okay uh, that there was a band across North America that I think started up in in Oregon and and swept kind of like a sash down to. Um, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and in that band, the sun would be completely blocked out by the moon for a certain amount of time. And then outside of that band, uh, people could witness a partial eclipse. and the, Which and, is what we could in D.C. In, in D.C., I think it was 80-something, 80 82%. Uh, and basically what happens is the sun still peaks out, and... and uh, there's still certain phenomena that you can see, and you get the special glasses in D.C., and you look up, and you can see the moon blocking the sun, and, and it looks like, uh, you know, like a little crescent shape, which is which looks is like pretty a lime, cool. a lime and a corona. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, if you want to advertise with corona, <laughs> yeah, that's but, right. Sorry. But down in in South Carolina, where I went with with totality, um, and and I'm just throwing that word around right, right now, just yeah, to just get to it, frustrate yeah. me. Yeah. Right. Thank you. But. With with the the full coverage, you actually see you actually feel a significant drop in temperature because the sun is not hitting you right. Okay. Uh, it gets dark. The animals and the insects around you start responding. They think it's nighttime, so all the the cicadas and crickets and everything start chirping. Lightning bugs come it out. It gets it gets. Um, I, that's a possibility. Um, and then, like, at the exact moment that the sun disappears, it's completely, it's completely dark. If you're somewhere out in the country, you probably could see stars. I think you could have seen two planets yesterday or, or Monday. Right. Um, but then, like, the, the sun, the gases around the sun are peaking around the moon. And, and so you can see those because you can't see the actual sun. You could take the glasses off. It was phenomenal. And this is something that you can't see every day, every year. Um, I think the next one is going to be in South America, okay. you know, like in maybe 2018, 2019, something like that. Uh, the next one's going to be in North America, like 2024. I mean, this is less frequent than the Olympics. All right. Well, I mean, you you make a good case for somebody who is interested in and, that type of stuff, and I and I will say, yeah, but I, I think that you don't even know what you're getting into. But I feel right. like if you if you if you were there, if it, if it happened and you went outside and you saw it, you you probably would have been like, wow, that was that was really cool. You can't appreciate it now because you don't really know what it is. But I think if you had experienced it, you would have been like, wow, that was awesome. And and I will tell you this as well: ten years from now, when we do episode one thousand one hundred and eighteen. <laughs> You're going to ask me, do you remember the eclipse? And I'm going to say, yes. Do you remember what you were working on at that time? You'd be like, no idea. I was ordering some shoes. No idea yeah. what I was doing. I couldn't tell you what, right. what shoes All they right. were. All right. Let me ask you this then. Mm-hmm. It, it, the traffic was a disaster on the way home. It was. Was it still worth it? Yeah, absolutely. You got home that at part 3 the, or 4 in the clock in the morning. I did, yeah. 3.30 in the morning. So right between 3 and 4. <laughs> so that's really good observation And it was still worth it? Absolutely. Dude, I told you it was like three minutes. It was like probably like three two, and minutes? A, two and a half minutes of it. But, it's, but the thing is, it's like, like actually I drove late Sunday night 
got a hotel in North Carolina outside of Charlotte, and then drove through traffic in the morning to get there. So it's basically, you know, I don't know, like it was more than a 24-hour journey just just to witness this. For but three that, minutes. But that's actually what kind of made it better was was the the journey to get there like okay. what, what it took me to get I, there and what it took me to get and you back. had and you had a good friend who you were with so i i'm with you on only that only for the ride back I, i'm with you on the, well the the wow you you uh i drove you, down solo that a lot of time to think um but which is fine but i do agree with you i like bringing people together my brother drove to kentucky which i think was another totality place yeah and he brought his girls, his two young girls, and that was a yeah. good, great. Ex- so I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Bringing people together, you know, if you're bringing people together and watching a baseball game or a eclipse or uh, or whatever, I mean, I think that's that's mm-hmm. great. Kind of the event is secondary. Uh, then I, I I can see the merit in that. But for three minutes, it just doesn't move me. That's that's just me. Again, that's just me. And I'm sure that just, probably doesn't shock our audience. Just put your phone down and <laughs> and see what this world well, has to I, give you. I hope you got some good pictures for Instagram or Twitter. I didn't. I, I didn't post any of that stuff. Nobody knew I was down there except that I bought lottery tickets in South Carolina. <laughs> that was the only reason people knew that I that I went there. Yeah. Um, I will say one of my favorite parts. There was a, a family sitting behind me, and they had two young kids that didn't really understand what was going on. And when the sun was blocked completely by the moon. One of the kids goes, is it going to be nighttime forever, Dad? <laughs> I funny. thought that was I good. I like that. See, I that's, that, that's good. Bonding time, I'm, I'm, I'm mm. with you. I, I feel that. All right, this is Pace the Nation. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter. It's at Pace the Nation, and this podcast is sponsored by Pacers Running. Pacers Running with five area D.C. locations. Pacers Running is for every run. We also, of course, have our location in Princeton, New Jersey. And next month, Docs. Uh, you can participate in the runaway event. Uh, go to runpacers.com backslash runaway to do a supported long run that's going to be a destination long run in Annapolis. So you, your closest friends, can sign up for this event. Uh, go out to the uh, Baltimore and Annapolis Trail. Get a three-hour supported long run. Get you ready for Marine Corps or whatever marathon you're going to run this fall. And then afterwards, uh, enjoy an all-you-can-eat-and-drink steam hard shell crab lunch slash brunch slash dinner, whatever. I mean, you can make it. Slash recovery meal. Recovery meal. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, enjoy that afterwards. Uh, That'll be a great time. Sounds cool. September 16th. All right. Great show, Docs. Joanna, you were missed. Except Farley sitting in your seat. (laughs) Thanks to special thanks to uh, my wife Julie who uh, introduced me to the book What Made Maddie Run. Of course, we have the author today. Big thanks to author Kate Fagan for joining us. Go out and get the book today. Uh, Docs and I both give it two thumbs up. Awesome book, What Made Maddie Run by Kate Fagan. Uh, so thanks to uh, the listeners. Thanks to our intern Kelly. Thanks to Steve. All right. Great show. Thanks to Docs. I'm Chris Farley. We will see you next week.
thanks to the moon for blocking out the sun. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess uh, I'll see it next time through. When's it coming through next time here? 2024 in the United States. Although we can DC? go to uh, Argentina. Uh, no, you have to go up to New York. In 2024? Yeah, either down to Texas, Indiana, New York. I can't wait to see if I'm actually into it in 2024. Maybe my kids will be, so. When you were talking about the reduced free play uh, and and, and all of that, um, I remember seeing Tobin Heath, a soccer player, she she said she was talking about a camp that she, she told the campers that she, when she was growing up, she played soccer every day. And the mm-hmm. campers asked her, they were like, how did you have a coach that was willing to have practice every <laughs> oh day? Oh, my gosh. And that, like That's when great. you were talking about this and talking about how that, that uh, leads to the anxiety, yeah. it just triggered this story that, that I remember Tobin Heath talking about. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's even worse than I thought. But Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I grew up playing capture the flag and like, <laughs> in, in, the, in like the neighborhood streets. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not like I, that was like the late '80s, early '90s. It yeah, we're. Like I think we're probably five 60s. years. We're probably five years older than you. So yeah, we're similar in that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. I just the more kids can do that, the better. I mean, well, I, I don't know what we're protecting them from. I like. I, I agree. I got a one year old, and I'm like, I, I am like already. I don't know if the phone. Like I literally, I'm the same way, and it, it's it was perfect timing for me to read this book because. My friends and my wife and employees here that I have, I mean, they're just like, you got to get off your phone. You're like, but I'm always, there's always something to do or always somebody. So anyways, always. always. So as you know. By the way, Kate Fagan, uh, if you ever need any last minute, if you ever need any last minute around the horn <laughs> guests, uh, Farley and I, yes. well, more me, yeah. well, uh, I, I, if, I have extreme sports if, knowledge. My, my sports uh, IQ is I through can, the roof. I can really hold my own on uh, – Washington sports teams. If exactly. They need this Washington- is a national show. This is a national show. So I guess I would be the first choice. But, you know, if you need somebody, either of us are available. Yeah. I mean, if Dan Lebetard can't do it, hey, we're ready to go. Hey, Farley, before we get started, do you want to call your mechanic uh, just so he doesn't interrupt us during the middle of the show? Yeah, I'll give him my credit card number. Yeah. No, I think it'd be funnier if you would be like, nah, nah, he'll never call. <laughs> No, no, no. He'll never call. Come on. 